This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your desktop or mobile device. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks your dedicated star trek books and comics show here on trek fm i'm just one of your hosts dan gunther and joining me as he does every week is the wonderful bruce gibson bruce how are you today i'm doing great because yesterday i had ice cream oh i'm jealous (laughs) i wanted ice cream yesterday i didn't have ice cream I, I need to live vicariously through your ice cream having experiences. Well, because I was in, I was on a business trip in Washington D.C., and then we had some time to kill, and so a coworker of mine wanted to go to the Smithsonian, so we did. And and I had, I grew up in Maryland, so a lot of like uh, field trips were at the Smithsonian Museum, and my parents would take me. And it seemed like every time I went, I had ice cream. So as we're walking through the museum, I'm craving ice cream. I had to have ice cream because it just brought back all these memories. So I finally got that and I was happy. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. I'm really jealous. I mean, you're going to the Smithsonian. And I think yesterday I did a work on some Star Trek models and went to bed a little earlier than usual. That was my excitement yesterday. (laughs) Hey, that's exciting. You're working on Star Trek models. That's cool. Yeah, that's always fun. So, and I will well, say on this trip to the Smithsonian, I did not get a chance to see the Enterprise. I saw it a few oh, months ago, but this trip I didn't. Man, I, I, I live so far away from there, you know? Oh, I'd love to see that. That would be really cool. Well, if you ever come to D.C., I'll meet you there and we'll get ice cream. Oh, man, I'm there. That's awesome. Let's totally do that. <laughs> well, we've got a little bit of news this week uh, in Star Trek Comics. So Trek Today put out an interesting article showing uh, some of the comics that will be released by IDW coming in June. So we've got some really exciting titles coming up. Boldly Go, of course, is the current series that replaces the Star Trek ongoing series featuring the crew from the Kelvin timeline. And in June, we'll be getting Boldly Go number nine. This one looks really cool. So in this one, we'll be checking out new Vulcan. And apparently in this issue, Uhura and Spock adjust to life in the growing colony and discover an ancient secret that could change the destiny of Vulcans forever. I mean, even more so than losing their planet, I guess. Which makes me wonder what the ancient secret is. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because there aren't that many Vulcans left, and I'm guessing it's a secret that's not on New Vulcan, like some kind of artifact or anything, so... I'm very curious to know what this is. So we just have a few more issues to get through to get to this. 
So, and then also in June, we'll be getting a new New Visions comic. And that, of course, is the photo novel-esque comics by John Byrne. And this one's called Time Out of Joint. Uh, this looks really cool. So anytime Star Trek plays around with time, it's it's usually kind of cool and, and something interesting. And of course, this one must be another one of those 17 temporal violations that Kirk is a menace to the uh, Department of Temporal Investigations for. I don't know why I like so many stories where there's a time element to it. I mean, I'm sure some people are like, yet again, another story where somebody's you know, going back in time or being thrown to a different timeline. But every time I see something like this, I'm very interested because it says that Kirk is torn from his timeline. See, there you go, the timeline. But every corner he turns, every door he opens, throws him into a different day, a different year, and a different danger. So it sounds like he's on the run in time. And every time he tries to get somewhere, he's thrown into something different, which I think is, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. I kind of, uh, I don't I don't know why, like it's just one little sentence, but it, it gives me like a Doctor Who-esque feeling or something. I don't know. Yeah. This looks pretty cool for sure. So the next comic we get in June is Star Trek The Next Generation Mirror Broken number two. So this is the second issue of that Next Generation Mirror Universe uh, saga that's going on. And this looks really cool. In this issue, in the Sinister Mirror universe, Captain Jean-Luc Picard is determined to get his hands on the Terran Empire's new secret weapon, the galaxy-class warship known as, you guessed it, Enterprise, by any means necessary. Unfortunately, one obstacle stands in his way, and his name is William T. Riker. Oh, so we no. Get a... <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. We get a clash of the titans here. We get Picard versus Riker for control of the Enterprise. So, you know, lots of fun shenanigans in the in the mirror universe here. Well, you know, Riker wanted to be captain of the Enterprise, and it would never happen for him. So he just eventually gave up and went to the Titan. But in this universe, he is the captain of the Enterprise. Well, I'm assuming he's captain. They said he's the obstacle that stands in the way of Picard mm -hmm. getting the Enterprise is, is Riker. So I'm assuming he's the captain. Or maybe not. We'll find out. Yeah, I don't know. That that's as good a guess as I could come up with for sure. And it, actually, this is really cool. If you look at the cover for this one, the Enterprise that they show isn't just the regular old Enterprise D that we know and love. It looks like it's that three nacelled future all good things dreadnought super starship version. So, you know, that's sure to make fanboys like me squee with happiness to see some Galaxy X class dreadnought action yeah and also on the cover is william Riker, and I, I'm, I'm trying to decide here is he being played by an older burt reynolds because that's kind of what he looks like to me <laughs> definitely yeah well we did uh we did hear from sarah gatos that there would be lots of muscly action in this so you know if they were going to recast the character burt reynolds wouldn't be a bad choice what is burt reynolds doing lately i guess i guess he's posing for comics Either. that's a good question he's the yeah. new Riker <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's just he's been seen leaving the IDW building lately and you know reporters are asking what's he doing but you know we found out he's posing for the Riker covers I always knew he had that in him <laughs> and then also in June we get the first 
omnibus collection of the Boldly Go issues up to this point, uh, Star Trek Boldly Go Volume 1. And this will feature the all-new Star Trek series following the adventures of Captain Kirk and his iconic crew. So it's it's collecting all of the Boldly Go issues up to that point from issues 1 to 6. So if you get your comics that way, and before we started doing every issue for the podcast, before I became a host, that's how I read all of the uh, boldly or all of the ongoing series, I should say, was collecting the omnibus editions. So if that's how you prefer to collect your comics, that first issue is coming in June. So definitely keep your eyes out for that one. So I'm wondering because it's one through six and issue six just recently came out and we're going to discuss uh, that issue in the next episode, not this one. But Dan, I haven't read issue six, but I was under the impression that it's starting a new arc, but maybe not because it would be really odd to get this omnibus mm. that has the last story starting a new arc. Yeah, that's a good call. I hadn't thought of that. So the previous issue, that was the Jayla story, correct? Yes. We had Jayla at the Academy. So I'm wondering is this one a continuation of that and maybe it's just a two-part story or is this just another kind of one-shot? I'm not sure. I'm not sure either, but I guess we'll know next week when we read it and talk about it. <laughs> but, I know, awesome. but I know it has something to do with the Borg. I'm serious <laughs> sure. when I say that. Hmm, all right. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> yeah, I haven't looked at it at all, so uh, that's interesting. I've just heard. I've heard people talking. Oh, I guess you were right. They would be back. Wow. Okay. Well, other comics. Uh, so like we said, we're not doing that issue this week, but we do have an issue that we're going to talk about this week. And that is the latest issue of the Star Trek Green Lantern crossover, Stranger Worlds number four. So Bruce, what did you think of this issue? This fourth part in this second volume of Star Trek Green Lantern? Well, because it's the fourth part of a six-part uh, series, it felt like the middle part of the series. Meaning, I feel like the first three issues were really setting things up. And this story was where the action is taking place. I didn't feel like there was as much story in this issue as, as there was in the previous three. And I'm not saying that as if I didn't like this issue. I'm just saying that this is where we've, uh, those other three issues built us up to get to where now the action is starting to take place until we get to the final two issues that wrap up the story. Yeah. Kind of this to me felt like, a little bit of, like you said, the action. So there's there's some action and some things come to a head, but at the same time also kind of moving the pieces around the board in preparation for what's going to be kind of the final push to the end of this story. And this one I felt more than the other issues even, uh, I felt that it brought in a lot of the Green Lantern lore and as someone who isn't very versed in that, it still did a very good job in kind of making that uh, accessible and understandable to someone who's not the biggest fan. So I do have to say I appreciate that. They're talking about, about a lot of stuff that I don't have a lot of familiarity with, but I was still able to kind of follow along and enjoy the story. And yeah, this cliffhanger ending, 
all I'm going to say is Sinestro is a bit of a badass. And uh, <laughs> I'm really curious to see where that goes. Yeah, I am too. It, it's strange to see Khan in these issues as a Red Lantern. Mm-hmm. Because we've been used to Khan in a different way. Then we get Khan in Into Darkness. And I mean, I'm used to it. But then to see him as a Red Lantern, it's kind of strange. It's like, okay, we've got Benedict Cumberbatch as a superhero. He well, he was, you know, Doctor Strange, but now he's Khan, but Khan as a superhero villain bad guy. And it's it's just kind of strange seeing these issues with uh, imagery of him in the spandex in the ring and shooting blasters out of his ring at people. And it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of funny to me. Yeah. It's definitely a, uh, an intense version of, of con. I mean, we've got him, you know, the red ring is associated with rage and he's definitely very rageful in, in this comic and especially drawn a lot of the time with kind of blood streaming down his face. There's a lot of kind of really, um, intense imagery around Khan in this one. Yeah, and the fact that he's come back and now he's, you know, seeking his revenge against Kirk and he even says, I should have killed you when I had the chance. Would the, you call this issue really the wrath of Khan in the Kelvin universe? <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but not quite like the movie that we're familiar with called The Wrath of Khan. Totally different. No, definitely not. Not exactly. No, this is definitely a little different. So yeah, if you're a fan of the new Trek stuff or uh, even Green Lantern, I think you should definitely check this out. It's as someone who, like I said, does doesn't know a lot about Green Lantern. I'm really enjoying this, so that's very cool. Yeah, it's a fun read. I've enjoyed it definitely. Well, if you want to talk to us about anything that we've discussed on this episode, there are a number of ways you can get into contact with us. First of all, we've got a form on trek.fm slash contact. You can send us an email there. You can also leave us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar on the show page for this episode or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're also on Twitter at trek.fm and we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. While you're on Facebook, check out the Babel Conference. That's our listeners only group. Just type the Babel Conference into the search field on Facebook or you can go to our website at trek.fm and click discussion on the menu bar. Now, Bruce, am I missing any of the various ways that they can get into contact with us? As a matter of fact, yes, you can find us on Goodreads. I've been in the Goodreads group today, as a matter of fact, and we've had some recent posts. People have started some new threads. So it's a very active group of people who listen to this show and read Star Trek books. And it's a great place to discuss all the books that we discuss here on the show and the books that you're reading that we haven't even covered on the show. So go to Goodreads and look, search for Literary Treks and then ask to join the group and we'll approve you. You'll get in and then you'll be involved in the discussions. And we have our bookshelf that shows what books we're reading for upcoming episodes. So check that out so you can read along with us and join in the fun and get to know other people who like Star Trek books. Excellent. Well, what do you say we uh, go take a look at some Wildstorm comics from the days of yore? Let's do it. I'm taking my Green Lantern ring off for this one. So one thing IDW has been doing a lot of is releasing the back catalog of Star Trek comics in various omnibus 
books and collections. And one such collection was Enemy Unseen. And this is a really cool omnibus that collects a bunch of Star Trek The Next Generation stories from Wildstorm's run of Star Trek comics. Now, this was a lot of fun because I've not read any of Wildstorm's comics before getting to do this one on the show. And I have to say, these stories are pretty impressive. Now, we're not going to be covering the entire book in this episode. We're just going to be covering the first series in there, and that's called Perchance to Dream by friend of the show, Keith R.A. DeCandido, a well-known Star Trek author. And first of all, I have to say, the artwork in this, more than a lot of Star Trek comics I've ever seen, that's the first thing I want to talk about is just how gorgeous this comic is. Yeah, the artwork, there's so much likeness to the actors, but among other things, it's just a very nice-looking comic. I mean, the artwork looks very good, spot-on. Um, I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like there's a certain texture to it. You know, it's 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 soft. It's almost like... I don't mean that where it's like cartoonish or anything, but it's almost like there's a texture, a soft texture to it as if it's like a painting in a sense. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like there, it's, it's very real. Like a lot of times there's kind of a surreal quality to a lot of the comics, but this one, like the likenesses are just bang on. I thought like in a lot of ways, it looked like a frame of like a movie or a television episode in some of the shots, like just really, really good likenesses. Well, I'm going to have one complaint. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And it's not really a bad complaint, but there's so many times in Star Trek comics, and this is going from now to all the way back to gold key. I don't know if I can ever get through a Star Trek comic without somebody's uniform color being wrong in one frame. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about here. And it's actually a couple frames, too. <laughs> and and yeah, it bugged me because, yeah, we're Star Trek fans. We're nothing if not a little bit, you know, picky about our details. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's even to the point that you can see someone, let's say, in a a gold tunic in one frame and the next frame and the third frame and then a red one in the fourth and back to the gold. It's like, how did anybody not catch that this character was in gold the whole time until one frame and then that character's in red? But that's just a little mm. nitpick, like you said. It's just It happens so many times. I, <laughs> I, I don't know why, but it just seems to happen so often. Not, not lately in the IDW ones, I can say that, but... You know, mm-hmm. prior to those, I, I've, it seems like it's always happening. Well, at various times in this staff meeting, I think basically Worf must have just run out and changed into a red uniform and then run back in and out and changed into a yellow uniform and, and then back and forth. It was just we didn't see those, I guess. They just paused the meeting while Worf went and changed for some reason. Right. And, and Dr. Salar was in a gold uniform for a while, which I was okay with. I was like, maybe, maybe she's changed departments or something. And then she Hmm. was in blue all of a sudden. I was like, ah, okay. (laughs) No, I didn't catch that. I missed that one. Okay. (laughs) Well, we'll get there. So in this first issue, uh, I really love the way this starts out with data wandering the corridors of the enterprise, the ships on red alert. 
and he goes to engineering. And I think that's Barkley. Yes. I will note in a red uniform. <laughs> so <laughs> darn it. Artists. Come on guys. It's either John it Tesh or Barkley. That's what I think. <laughs> exactly. So he goes to engineering and everyone's ignoring him. And then he kind of looks away and looks back and everybody's fallen unconscious. And the ship is careening towards a planet. And of course we find out that it's a dream. Data has been activating his dream program that we learned about in season six of TNG. And, and he's having anxiety dreams. Now did, when, did you know that it was a dream before it was revealed? Did you suspect that it was? I kind of, by the time he got to engineering and everyone was ignoring him and then falling unconscious right about there, I was like, okay, I bet you this is a dream or uh, an illusion of some kind at least. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't at that point think it was a dream. I, of course I knew something weird was going on, but then when I got to a frame where he's sweating, I was like, wait, data Mm -hmm. doesn't sweat. And I thought, okay, I hope there's a good reason for this. (laughs) <laughs> Not just that the artist thought, oh, he's frightened. Maybe his emotion chip is going on now. He's sweating because I don't think he was built to sweat. <laughs> yeah, me, I. Especially that's a, a really be, good question. Especially as a flotation device. Yeah. <laughs> oh, do we? Can we just ignore that that scene happened? <laughs> but now it makes sense because he was dreaming. So if he was dreaming mm-hmm. that he was frightened, then he may dream that he he's sweating for sure. Yeah, it totally makes exactly. sense. And I really like that concept of like, because this is before he implants the emotion chip in generations. So in his dream, he feels an emotion, which is is a really neat concept that would have been kind of cool to play around with. And, you know, he talks to Jordy about this experience. And which brings me to another point about this series is just the myriad number of continuity touchstones that the author included. There are so many references to various episodes and happenings in the next generation that it just kind of blows my mind. And I love when writers do this and really, you know, I, I, I kind of want to say show off their knowledge of Star Trek and, it it works out really well here. So Data recounts all the times that he's felt emotion. So for example, when Q gave him the laughter in Deja Q, when uh, he experienced anger while fighting the Borg, thanks to lore and like all these various times that, that something like this has happened. It's just, it's really cool that all those continuity touchstones get mentioned. Well, it's like, I feel like I can relax because of course we know this author, he's written novels. He's, he's been, Keith has been so involved in Star Trek that when you start reading this and, and you and you pick up on those things and you realize, oh, wait, well, this is, you know, Keith R.A. DeCandido. He knows this stuff. So, yeah, I'm not expecting anything to go wrong here. So um, mm-hmm. and there is a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of text to these uh, each panel. I mean, there's a lot to read in this because originally, just so everybody knows, we were going to cover the whole graphic novel on this episode, but it took so long to read just this <laughs> one story. That's why we divided it up into two parts because there's so much here. There's a lot to go through. Definitely. And also added to that is the fact that I think there's a lot to talk about with this story because the, it is a really, I don't want to say complicated story, but it, it's a very involved story and a lot does happen in it. 
So in this issue, we're we're traveling to this planet whose name is Damiano, I think is how I pronounce that. I'm not sure. Damiano Pizza. Something like that, <laughs> yeah. So they're uh, going to be inaugurating a new governor. And this governor has had a little bit of scandal kind of surrounding her. Now, in this culture, basically everybody has... Uh, a grouping of three people for a proper relationship, but it's kind of come out that she has had a relationship ongoing with just one person, which some segments of the population think is uh, perverse or very, you know, it's, it's taboo. It's not, um, not the norm kind of thing. So a lot of people think that she's unfit to lead because of this, not, the majority, this is kind of just a minority of people who are called the moralists who insist on a more traditional three-person union. So I thought that was kind of an interesting idea to to kind of confront this issue by making it this different alien version of, you know, what we deal with a lot on Earth here from time to time as far as cultural mores and things like that. Well, yeah, it's very Star Trek, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it reminded me of the Andorians that we've had in the novels where there's clans of four. And in this case, like you said, it's three. So if someone is grouped with two people, you have a relationship. You're, it, it's, not, it's not like in our society where it's a man and woman together. In this case, it's a he, she, and it. You always have the mm-hmm. three together. And like you said, this governor is having a relationship with only one person. One person, not two. You're supposed to have a relationship with two people. <laughs> now, if I you know, went upstairs right now and I said to my wife, you know what, it's probably best that I have a relationship with two people. That, that would end the marriage right there. <laughs> but in this culture, it's encouraged. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so it is... It's one of those things like with Star Trek where you hear something like this and you say, oh, okay, a society where you're paired with two other people. You're, you're not a couple, you're a trio. You're three's company. <laughs> and, and so this is the way it is. And then someone elects not to be with two people but to be with one. Well, that doesn't seem that like strange. That, you know, what's wrong with that? But mm-hmm. to the point that people think that she can't be a governor she can't run a planet and a society because she's only having relations with one person seems so absurd. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, it, it's like you said, it's such a Star Trek thing because they're inverting it and making it different to point out its absurdity. And at one point they even say something, some people are discussing her and they're like, well, you know, before this came out, didn't you think she could lead then? Like what, what's changed and you know, what, what, what's different now? And, you know, the same could be said for, you know, somebody who, um, you know, is homosexual as opposed to heterosexual. Once you find that out about them, like that's just one aspect of their, of their life and their personality. And what does that have to do with, you know, how well somebody can serve in a, some function in a job or in a society you know and and i love that that star trek way of pointing it out by making it something that we would think well that's absurd but then you apply it to our world and 
oh, there are some people that think that way about things. For example, the original series episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, is kind of the the quintessential example is, you know, racism and, and thinking people, you know, are degenerate because of a different skin color. And we see these two beings, one's black on the left side and the other's black on the right side. And that's the only difference between them. And they say, well, that's why that guy's inferior. And Kirk looks at them and is like, okay, like what? But that's the beauty of it is that, that, that it points out in our own society where the shortcomings are and how people think about issues that you're close to as opposed to ones that are outside and look absurd to us. I thought the same thing. I thought of the episode you just mentioned. I thought about homosexuality. Uh, it, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's almost like, well, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing in here that shows that if this woman does not have a relationship with two people that she can't govern. There's nothing in here that points out why she can't do the job because of that. That has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. So it's it's just, it seems insane. And when you look at, if, if for some reason you look at people that are different from you today, in, in today's world, and you have a hard time seeing them in a leadership role and governing your nation or your town or whatever it is, your state, your province, whatever it is, because they're different, it's like, what does that really matter? It depends what it is about them. If they're doing something wrong that affects their job and their decision-making, then it could be an issue. But in this case, there's nothing here that proves that this woman choosing one partner affects her judgment and affects what Mm -hmm. she has done. She hasn't done anything wrong. Like you said, she's been helping out in government for years and she's been great. And then we found out this one piece of information. Well, she can't, she can't govern anymore. She can't do the same or she's been doing a great job the whole time. People come on. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I love that that gets pointed out because it really drives that point home for sure. So if I had one complaint about this, uh, story and kind of introducing this species here. I I don't know about you, but I had a really hard time telling the various characters apart. They all seem they're all kind of wearing the same colors, the same thing, and I mean there are some physical differences here and there, but I I don't know, did you have that problem that I did? Like there's there's some facial hair stuff that 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 makes them look different here and there, but I had a really hard time telling who was who. Yeah, I did too. It's, 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 the governor was easier because she had the horns on her mm-hmm. headdress, whatever it is that she was wearing, but they, they are the same color. And I don't mean just in skin tone. I mean, like in the actual clothing that they're wearing, they're all very similar. Mm-hmm. So they look alike. And did you notice that the he's look like males and the she's look like females and the it's are almost like the physique of a man with breasts? Hmm. Yeah, I was I was kind of trying to and it and it took a little bit to kind of try and figure that out exactly uh, who was what. Uh, but yeah, eventually kind of realized, oh, yeah, OK, so that's what they're kind of going for here as far as the looks, because I was curious about that. Like, what would the physical difference differences manifest? as? Yeah, it looked like it was a 
cross between a male and female in some way. At least that's what mm-hmm. I was trying to pick up. But you, maybe they should put them in different color clothes so we could keep up with who's who. But then again, they would color the clothes wrong in the next panel and we'd be really confused. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, man. We can't win. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they go to this planet and Worf's going to help out with the security for the inauguration. And it turns out that it's a good thing that he does because the he does find a bomb beneath the stage. So this is kind of uh, assassination method number one that gets foiled here. He discovers the bomb and it's... Uh, they attempt to defuse it, but when they when they go to disarm it, it uh, it explodes, but not in like a the way the the bomb would normally explode. It just kind of vaporizes itself and disappears, leaving no evidence. So that gets sorted out, and there are a number of other assassination attempts that are kind of in the works here. And at the end of this comic, we've got a sniper lining up a shot to take down this governor so i don't know what did you think of like kind of the the story of uh of kicking this off getting getting this peril to this governor introduced here i liked how they portrayed this group as being extremists to the point that they are trying to kill the governor i i don't think that happens necessarily in our Western society as much as it does in some others uh, here on earth and in our time and in reality versus fiction. But um, I, I liked, I liked how this was developing. What I didn't like was that this group, even though they're extremists, they're called moralists mm-hmm. as if, if you have morals, then you're a nut. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't quite like the naming convention uh, for this group. I wish it would have been a little different, but I like the fact Mm -hmm. that the guy that's leading this group and leading this assassination attempt is a, basically a TV talk show host Mm -hmm. that is very vocal about his opinions about government and about politics and such and is very outspoken against this governor so i kind of like that because that does play along with the i'm not going to name names but people on tv and radio (laughs) today and and they're not going to go around trying to kill anybody though but you know just the extreme you know right wing or left wing stances that people take in media Mm -hmm. yeah no it was definitely i mean it's kind of a, a story idea that that gets used a lot but yeah, the idea that this public face is kind of the leader behind the whole thing. Have you ever seen the movie and and or read the graphic novel V for Vendetta? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, there's a there's a very similar character who's a very right wing uh, television talk show host, Prothero, and and he's very much a, a very right wing militant character as well. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of that as well for sure. So issue two here, uh, we get what I thought was a really cool way to introduce it. We get a glimpse at the kind of mass media of this planet, Damiano, and the kind of news report talking about the inauguration, the controversy surrounding the governor, 
controversy to some people, not a controversy to most people and Starfleet's role. And it kind of makes me wish that we got scenes like this in Star Trek more often. Like I like the idea of the Enterprise visiting a planet and it being like newsworthy. You know, it would have been kind of neat to see Picard and them on some kind of news program in a, on an alien planet or something like that. Like, like good morning, Dominio, Dominio, Demonio, whatever it is, <laughs> like whatever <Yeah>. talk show <laughs> it would be. Yeah. It's, it's great because we use, usually in these stories, we're seeing the perspective of the lead characters on the planet and what they think and how they interact with the enterprise. We don't necessarily see a lot of stories that show how the media portrays uh, a federation ship visiting the planet and how society is reacting to that so it's kind of neat and this planet just recently joined the federation so at times i thought oh the people are going to get really upset that the enterprise is getting involved or the federation is getting involved in this but everybody was welcoming of it for the most part mm-hmm. i mean it was very much a society on of, that is glad to be part of the federation has welcomed them with open arms, has reached out to them for help in this situation. And again, some people are a little like, well, I don't know if we really need their help or should they really get involved? But for the most part, they accept the fact, except for this extreme group, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because the Federation or the Enterprise is going to ruin their plans on what they're trying to do. Yeah. So at the inauguration, of course, we have the sniper in a tree outside the arena which Worf just kind of now realizes huh we didn't secure the area around the stadium <laughs> yeah, he's... we just secured the inside of the stadium yeah he's just to which there. I kind of thought like duh <laughs> I love that because he was he's like well, I know we checked everything we've checked here we checked there I just feel like we're missing something and then always at the last <laughs> minute when this is about to happen wait a second we didn't check right outside. <laughs> <laughs> and wait, I see something in the tree. And then he's like, yeah, but I don't want to disrupt the whole ceremony here, but oh, well, I'm going to shoot after them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a little bit kind of silly plot wise to kind of get that danger to where it had to be. But it does give us this really cool shot of all of the the Starfleet officers firing their phasers in that same direction. Seemingly, I guess, just because Worf started shooting that way. So everyone's like, ah, (laughs) starts shooting over there. Yeah, And again, I'm expecting them to say, you know, what are you Starfleet people doing? You're ruining everything. But no, they were very accepting of what was, you know, they trusted them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Which is kind of nice because it's a lot of times we get that trope of, Oh, the outsiders are interfering, blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of nice to to have that not be a part of the story, or at least not a major part. Yeah. Absolutely. So they thwart the assassin and for some reason beam him right to the stage. So <laughs> everybody can governor. see it. <laughs> yeah. I, there's a lot of choices here that seem odd, but the governor decides to go ahead with the inauguration, which... I do have to say, like, in real life, that would never happen. I, I think she would be pretty much ushered out of there immediately and 
like this would be shut down right now kind of thing. But it does make for kind of a moving scene and a very rousing speech that, you know, she will not be cowed by, you know, these extremists who are out to kill her. And she's going to govern for all the people of her planet and, and that kind of stuff. And, you know, all those stirring words that, you know, people will copy as their Facebook profile statuses for a while kind of thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> we get uh, the interrogation of the lone assassin, as he would have uh, have them believe. You know, he's basically telling them that he's not part of a conspiracy. He was working alone. He and some friends just came from the shooting range and there's no vast conspiracy. I thought that was uh, funny too. We weren't doing yeah. anything. Why'd you have guns? We just came back from a shooting range. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we just thought we'd bring them in. You didn't think that was crazy. Well, we thought it would be not a big deal. <laughs> I mean, we talked about going bowling. So, you know, had we done that, we would have walked in with our bowling balls. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, pretty lame. And of course, they're not buying it. They know that there's kind of this conspiracy of these, you know, quote unquote moralists who are trying to kill the governor. So they decide to unleash their secret weapon, this ancient weapon called the Chova. And it's a telepathic weapon that basically makes people live their deepest fears of failure and that sort of thing. Uh, and, and in that way it kind of debilitate They're They're hoping to debilitate the entire crew of the enterprise. And, and I don't know, what did you think of this weapon? I, I, I think it's kind of cool. Like this is, this is really the part where it ties into the overarching idea behind the series, the enemy unseen, the invisible enemy. And that's this telepathic weapon that, lies dormant in your brain and then debilitates you at just the wrong moment kind of thing. What did you think of this story idea? I think it's like what my dad says to my mom when she uh, comes out with a new dress and he's not sure what to say. He just says, it's different. Um, <laughs> I I kind of liked it. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, though. I really, really liked it. But I do mean it sincerely when I say it's different. It's different than what we've seen from some other stories. Um, as a weapon like this. So I liked it for that that sense. It just seemed a little odd to me that you can control so many people with one person telepathically through the whole ship, and we'll get into that later. I don't know. It, it, it seemed a little bit of a stretch, but, but I liked it. I liked the fact that it was an ancient weapon. And I wrote down the, the group that started this weapon back in the day. It's the Head M. Diesel. Hedem Diesel, <laughs> and they're part of during the Paji de Ola's reign. I don't know. So you just weird names like that. In there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even going to try. I mean, like, yeah, lots of consonants and apostrophes. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, sci-fi. Yeah. And of course, they choose a Vulcan to make this happen. Of course, yeah. So Ensign Tamor, this security officer. And I like that, too. Uh, I like that we had a new Starfleet officer that's a major character in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool and very convenient that there's a, a telepath among the security <laughs> personnel on the planet. But, you know, we, we got to get this plot going for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was, a, I thought it was a really neat idea for a weapon. It's, it's really insidious. And like, if you think about it, that would be like, it would be really torturous to 
be under the influence of this weapon, you know, constantly having memories of your biggest failures coming into your head. So for example, we see one of Worf's nightmares, which is a story that he's previously told in a Deep Space Nine episode uh, where he caused the death of a young boy when he was playing soccer as a boy. And like, if you've ever seen the episode, Let He Who Is Without Sin, this is literally the only good part in that episode. <laughs> when he's talking about why he's so reserved and, and, and like scared to let his, you know, true inner Klingon come out all the time because of this incident when he was a kid. And, you know, the way Worf tells it in that episode is traumatic. Like it's, it's this horrible story. And then to see it play out here, uh, it's, it's traumatic again. And you can imagine what he's going through, you know, remembering being a teenager and causing the death of a kid just because humans are way more fragile than Klingons. I just kind of, the idea of that being used against you as a weapon, your own emotions and own feelings of failure, that, that scares the crap out of you. Yeah, me. that's true. And I mean, it's such a vivid dream. It's not just you have this dream and you wake up and it goes away. I mean, it, you're really reliving it and it maybe happens multiple times. I mean, it's just, it's this constant reminder of those feelings and so you're carrying those feelings with you throughout the day, even when you're not having the dream, to the point that Worf starts hallucinating when he sees other people. He sees people that, hmm. for example, he's teaching a, a class. I don't, what, what is it that he's teaching? It's some kind of, it's not karate. Oh, his, but, uh, <laughs> his Makbara uh, class. His Makbara class, yes. Which is which is another, like, I, I just have to say the continuity and the 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 little canon things that the author's bringing in from Star Trek. I'm just constantly amazed every page that, you know, all this really, uh, this, this really, like you have to be a dig deep as a Star Trek fan to, to have all of these continuity references at the ready. So I, I, I love it. Well, just to let you know the opposite of that. So years and years ago, when I started reading Star Trek books, I wasn't that familiar with all the different Star Trek episodes. And so as I was watching episodes, I was like, that's from that book. That's from that book <laughs> where other people were having the opposite reaction. That's from that episode. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, so he's, he's teaching the class and there's uh, a woman there that he is looking at and he's thinking that's a woman that had passed away that got killed during an away mission once with him. He starts, you know, hallucinating. He's, he's, he's seeing somebody else than the person in mm -hmm. front of him. So, I mean, he's really getting destroyed by these dreams that he's yeah. having. And again, the continuity touches. That's Marla Astor who died in the third season episode, The Bonding. Like the, the, the author's really digging deep for references here and it's, really cool to see i'm, I'm just gonna keep geeking up over that <laughs> i'm just impressed you actually knew the episode and what season it was in oh yeah absolutely <laughs> see i'd have to i could write one. i'd have to look no, it I'm up just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> i go wait what was that i remember which episode was that but yeah that's good keep going yeah i don't remember facts related to my job or anything important but star trek i caught that down <laughs> <laughs> good Awesome. So yeah, so the weapon starts kind of making its presence felt on the Enterprise and Worf at a very critical moment here. This is coming to the end of issue number two here. Worf remembers 
from the fifth season episode ethics when <laughs> a barrel fell on his back and paralyzed him and there was a thought that he was never going to walk again and and it was a whole episode it was really good if you haven't seen it check it out um but at the at the moment that he's escorting the governor this imaginary barrel falls on his back and he's reliving that moment and he's incapacitated and at that moment the police chief person sees his moment because he's part of this secret cabal as well pulls out his weapon and goes to assassinate the governor once and for all and we get to be continued i have to do this so was this a barrel roll Oh, <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> ouch. So now we move on to issue number three, and it begins with Counselor Troy kind of starting to put everything together, realizing something's not right on the Enterprise. You know, Worf's having these anxiety dreams, and he, she remembers that Data had that anxiety dream, which I'm assuming is not related at this point to what's going on because that was before they'd even arrived at the planet am i right yeah i was wondering about that it was i was reading this was data's dream have any relevance to to this other stuff and i would say not mm-hmm. it just kind of it, it's just kind of serendipitous that it that it feeds into the same kind of idea i guess um, or maybe it was just establishing the fact that he has this dream chip so that it comes into mm. play later with what's going on with like, you know, cause he gets, well, we'll get to it, but he gets infected too. So we join the action back down on the planet and Worf is knocked down, of course. And the police chief takes his moment and is about to kill the governor. But of course, Worf fights through the pain even, because he realizes it's not real and he fights through it and draws his phaser and manages to stun the would-be assassin before he's able to kill the governor. So, yay, awesome. Um, cliffhanger resolved. <laughs> yay. <laughs> now we can keep Absolutely. moving forward with the story. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. It's like it's like when you had that, you know, cliffhanger before the commercial break. Um, for example, I, I was just watching this the other day. This is a total side note. But one of my absolute favorite episodes is The Visitor, Deep Space Nine. And there's a commercial break. And if you watch it on the DVD or on Netflix, of course, you don't get the commercial. It just fades to black and then comes back in. And the old Jake Sisko is telling Melanie, uh, he says, no, you have to listen to the story tonight because I'm dying. And it fades to black. And then it comes back and he says, you must realize when someone my age says that he's dying, it's only because he's bowing to the inevitable. And she's like, oh, God, you scared me. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first saw that episode, you know, on Netflix or whatever, I was like, ah, oh, that's cheap. And then, of course, by the end, you realize, oh, he was telling the truth there. So it, it does have a deeper meaning. But at the time, it's like, well, that's a cheat. <laughs> and that that kind of is how this feels here. It feels like a bit of a cheat at Wharf. Stuns him at the last second, so. Always at the last minute or last second. Exactly. But we do get kind of an idea of how Worf is suffering here. So, of course, he takes himself off duty and, and, and can't really do his job well. I have to say, I love this sequence here. 
when it's showing what he's going through and what he's remembering, like uh, watching Kalar die before his eyes and, you know, talking to Alexander when he was paralyzed and, you know, all this stuff. And then the soccer accident when he was a kid. And there's just something beautiful about him struggling through the corridors and then ending up at sick bay yelling, help me. And then collapsing in crusher's arms. Like that's beautiful. Like this is just gorgeous. Just really, really well done. I don't know. What did you think of that? I, I thought that was brilliant. No, I did too, because again, it replays those dreams over and over again. It just starts to build up more and more and more. And you can just feel the anxiety in him and, and you know, the loss of control and, just the emotions he's going through. And like you said, he just runs into sick bay and help me. And I'm, I'm surprised, you know, he's a big guy, you know, but Crusher's able to, to catch <laughs> him and, and deal with them at that point. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to see him in kind of this moment of vulnerability, which is, is very different for Worf. So. Yeah. But the next thing after cool. this, I, I don't know. It didn't really work for me with him with Troy. Yeah. I was having a bit of hard time trying to, see what they were trying to do with the various emotions that were just floating around her head i guess in the frames i i mean once you get to the end of the sequence you realize okay she's dreaming and she's going through this too but yeah it seemed like a really odd way to do it yeah because they're all all these emotions are listed in little bubbles around her and in each Mm -hmm. of the different frames it's like it's troy's inside out you know, like the Pixar movie. Yeah. <laughs> She's got all the different little emotions. And it's like greed, pride, joy. And each one has a different color and, and all that. And and then they start to only half the words there. And I was like, is she losing the emotions? Or I don't know. I, I got a little mm-hmm. confused of what really all that meant. Yeah. And then by the end, you realize, okay, she's dreaming and she's been infected by this thing as well. But yeah, it was just a really weird way to do it and then we kind of get the one part that really just kind of fell flat to me was this uh sonic shower assassination attempt i guess i i i thought that was really weird and i wasn't sure what was exactly happening there and uh <laughs> so then we get the security officer running into the bathroom and and tackling the naked governor before she turns on her sonic shower and we get, you know, some jokes about, I guess, prudishness and embarrassment and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of funny, I guess. But I, I don't know. I just, the the assassin, the assassination attempts are just coming so fast and furious now. Like, you know, you, you'd think one of them would succeed by this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, the, the shower is actually kind of funny because, you know, it's the lethal shower. You know, and then the, you know, Starfleet officer tackles her and she's laying there naked and he's on top of her and she's like, okay, you can get out off of me. Can I have a towel? <laughs> and he's like hiding his face and she's wrapping herself he's up. Like, oh, and- uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I was like, is, and I was really, I was confused at this point because I, I thought, is the shower really lethal or is this part of the dream? Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that bugged me. I think the most about this was we're going back and forth between, you know, this, these dreams and reality. 
And I don't think it's meant to be confusing, which is, you know, kind of the bad part about this. You know, I, I get it if a story's kind of meant to keep you off balance and, and not sure here, but I think we're supposed to for sure know that this is reality and this is another assassination attempt. But it's bookended by all these kind of imaginings of various people that, yeah, I just thought we were in another dream sequence until I realized what exactly was going on there. So yeah, after this, like I said, we get some more, you know, dream sequences by crew members. And by this point they're they definitely know something weird is going on. They're under attack by something and they kind of, realize by talking to the Damiani da, da, uh, I I'm going to give up on the names. I'm yeah, sorry. Damiani, um, I think Damiani. Yeah. Okay. That it's an ancient, this, this ancient weapon, this, this Chova. And basically they talk to Ensign Tamor and because she's Vulcan, she's like, oh yeah, I am missing some memories. Hold on. Let me get those. Well, no, at first she's like, no, I'm not missing any. Me well, wait, <laughs> seriously she's like no no i'm not missing memories i would not well wait i am <laughs> i just thought that was funny yeah it was kind of, it was it was fun and i love how easily she's able to recall them too like she just basically realizes she's missing this time is like oh let me concentrate on that for a bit oh okay yeah no i was uh i was taken to this street and i was knocked unconscious and and had this implanted in me and yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I didn't realize. <laughs> well, she goes to, to meditate and then the Damiani or Damiani no, or whatever we call him. The chief is like, what the, and Crusher's like, it's okay, chief. It's a Vulcan thing. She'll come out of it in a moment. But just the expression on his face is like, what the heck is she doing? She's just sitting there <laughs> calm with her eyes closed. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of like, what exactly did he see? <laughs> like she just closed her eyes and he's freaking out. <laughs> but yeah, so they realize it's this weapon and they do have one known defense against the weapon and that's people with multiple personality disorder. Unfortunately, this is a disorder that's kind of disappeared. You know, medical care has evolved such that there hasn't been a case in the Federation in a long time and among these people even for a few decades. But they do have the closest thing, the next best thing. And that, of course, is Jean-Luc Picard because, and again, bringing in all the various continuity touchstones, he's had Locutus as, you know, a, a different personality. He's had Cayman for, you know, 30 plus years, this other life that he lived in the episode, The Inner Light. And of course, Sarek mind melded with him in season three, and he's got, he's carrying that around in his head too. So Picard kind of almost is a multiple personality disorder sufferer here. And he, of course, decides that he will do everything he can to fight the Chova. This was really cool. I like this part because it is mm -hmm. these inner demons in a sense in him that he's always kept, you know, hidden and back. He's he's led different lives, whether he was Lacutus or Cayman or just the mind meld he had with Sarek. I mean, he's carrying these different people in 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 him somewhere. And now they're going to be on the forefront. Now there's the four of them. Like you said, it's like multiple personalities are coming to the surface and now they have to 
play off of each other and not always in mm-hmm. a positive way. They're not always going to get along, right? Lacutus, <clears throat> Mr. Have to take over the whole universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a really interesting concept. And I I like the idea of using that. Like, again, this is something that like a true, somebody who knows Star Trek back and forward to be like, oh, I know what... I know what we can do is like, you know, create this problem that that's the solution to. And Picard, you know, Picard's the perfect person because he's carrying all of the all of these personalities in his head. Now, I have to ask, like, he's got all these personalities floating around in his head. He was tortured by the Cardassians. He was a Borg. He lived 30 years as this guy. How is this guy even still mentally functional? <laughs> I feel like any other person would just be a vegetable sitting in the corner, rocking back and forth because, you know, they're, they're so far gone by this point. But Picard just like still in command of the flagship, still fine. Just whatever day, another day at the office. I can tell you why he's got it all under control because he's the only captain that has a counselor sitting next to him all the time on the bridge. Ah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) We finally figured it out. That's why she's there. That's her purpose, is to keep all the multiple personalities of Picard on the straight and narrow. (laughs) So, but before Picard can basically take on this role and take on the Chova, we get kind of one more wrench thrown in the works here. And that's... Data. Data gets infected somehow by this uh, telepathic. I don't. I guess it's a vi- a telepathic virus, telepathic entity. See, that's what I was trying to force. say earlier that I'm not too sold on this because I'm not exactly sure how this works, and especially yeah. if it's affecting a chip. You know. Uh, yeah. So that. I, but you know. Well, I'm I'm going with it. yeah so that's that's kind of what i wanted to ask like how do you feel about this part of the story because i was kind of like this is the one part where i kind of raised my eyebrow and went "Mm, i i don't know about this i mean i know data got drunk in the naked now and and you know there's various things that have happened to him but it seemed really odd that it would affect him in this way and have him start acting out his his dreams yeah i guess i went through it thinking if this is a dream chip then there's something about it there's an organic piece to this that would get affected because it's 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 all about dreams it's it's created in this manner that there's something in there that (laughs) this this device would affect it i don't know i mean it's I, i guess what i'm trying to say is if he didn't have a dream chip and and he didn't have dreams, then it would make any sense why data all of a sudden would be infected and start having dreams. It would just, that would be further off. But the fact that this was created to in data, so he could have dreams, then there must be something about that chip that works the same way the human brain does when it has dreams. And this ancient device is able to manipulate both. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I guess that that makes the most sense that that I can think anyway. But yeah, it's it's just kind of one of those things that for me I was like, okay, well, I guess this is happening. I'll just go with it. So Data walks off <laughs> to cause shenanigans, and some security officers are going to keep an eye on him. But you know, there's really nothing they can physically do to him because he's Data. So Picard goes ahead with this mind meld with Doctor Solar. 
and we see inside his mind the various personalities that are that are kind of going on. So you've got Picard, you've got Locutus, Cayman, and Sarek, and he's got to somehow corral them all into fighting the Chova uh, as it would be like personified in his head, basically. Because the Chova cannot handle multiple personalities. I don't know. This, to me, I thought this was a really fascinating part of the story because you, you get to see Picard interacting with these various personalities. And also, in something that I didn't really think of, the Chova is attacking these personalities. So you get to see Sarek's fears and Cayman's fears. And then he gets to Locutus. <laughs> and Locutus is like, nope, fears are relevant. Failure is irrelevant. And the Chova is like, well, this is impossible. <laughs> so it's really, it's kind of funny. It's Locutus that basically is the thing that he cannot cope with. Right. But what's great about this story is he learns to cope with Locutus. He actually conquers mm -hmm. Locutus in the story. It almost sounds like, you know, by the end of this, that Locutus doesn't affect him in the manner he had in the past. Mm -hmm. Because he had his anchor. Yeah. Remember the, you remember the anchor in this is the four lights from his torture. Which I thought that was a really, really cool idea. And, you know, I, did, I hadn't realized it. But if you go back once, once you make that connection that, you know, Picard is using this as his anchor, those four lights are sitting there in every panel that we see inside his head. And I hadn't realized that the first time reading Yeah, this. I hadn't either. And but now that we're going through it and I'm looking through them again, it's like, well, there's the four. The four lights were there the whole time. How come I didn't notice? <laughs> yeah. Like, how cool is that? Like, that's so subtle and, and just beautiful. And another moment I have to say I really thought was cool was Locutus just decides to kill Cayman. And Picard loses those memories, thankfully temporarily. But at this moment, you know, he's really afraid that he's lost those 30 years of memories that he was entrusted with by the people of Catan. I was afraid he lost and them too. Yeah, I know. I was, I thought, oh my God, like, is this something they, that, you know, I know comics are non-canon, but you know, what a, what a daring move. Like, that's amazing. But thankfully, and, and I think, I think honestly, thankfully he does get them back by the end. And of course, like you said, he uses this anchor of the four lights because, you know, being tortured by the Cardassians, that's, you know, one of the worst experiences he's ever had. And, and just like in that moment, he clung to that reality that there are four lights. He does the same thing here and is able to fight his way back out of it and defeat the Chova. Well, and we know that he does get Cayman's memories back because then towards the end, we see him playing the flute. Mm hmm. Exactly. Which I'm really glad they included that because, like you said, I was really worried that 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 was something they just decided to do. <laughs> yeah, because that really makes him the character we know now. I mean, I always relate his experiences with Cayman with him being now more of a family man and accepting, you know, a more comfort comfort level around children. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like where we are in the novels, for sure. He's married Beverly and, and, and they've had a child, Renee. And yeah, I always, like you, thought that was a direct outgrowth of that experience and, and realizing there is more for him than just 
being single and being the captain of the Enterprise and yep. stuff. So yeah, I, I thought this was a really good comic. Of course, we wrap up with, you know, the governor giving a speech and, you know, being the leader for all of Damiano and everything works out well. They've defeated the Chova and the Enterprise warps off to its next mission, which is probably Star Trek Generations, because that's where we are right in between all good things and generations there. Uh, so yeah, what did you what did you end up thinking about this story, Perchance to Dream? When I went into this, I had no idea how long this was going to be. <laughs> um, and it's not that it's, it, it's four issues, but like we said, there's so much dialogue, there's so much text, there's so much prose to this. But as I was reading it, I thought, I almost feel like I'm reading a novel. And I don't always have that feeling when I read a graphic novel or a comic. I was getting so much out of it. And like you said, if you're a Star Trek fan, you're pick, picking up on all these connections and all these Easter eggs throughout. And I was really engrossed in this. Uh, and more so than I am a lot of times. So I have to say that... Even going through this a second time makes me appreciate it even more. And I would love to read something like this again. I'm hoping that when we get further into this book, that the next stories are just as good as this. So I'm going to say I'm giving it, I'm going to give this one eight slices out of 10 of Damiano pizza. Ooh, very nice. Very good rating. That's awesome. Yeah, no, like you, this story really surprised me, I think, by the time I got through issue one. And I realized how dense this story was and how just full of plot and character work and, you know, those continuity references that I keep bringing up. This is a like truly a really great story done by someone who clearly really loves Star Trek. And we know Keith DeCandido is someone who really loves Star Trek and really knows his stuff. And combined with the artwork, which I just absolutely love, with the exception of a couple shortcomings, like I said, it's a little hard to tell the various Damiano characters apart. But, you know, our characters look really realistic, like Cayman and Sarek and Locutus. Those, the artwork in that section was just incredible. And these little attentions to detail that like I like we said we I didn't catch it the first time around but seeing the four lights and all those panels just kind of always hovering in the background you know really really nice touches that really make me appreciate this story I think even more the second time around so I think I will have to give this one five out of five lights even though as we all know there are only four lights <laughs> but this story deserves five <laughs> Well, that was fun. I really like this comic, and I'm regretting my rating, in a sense. I, I, I almost want to say 5 out of 5 now, or 10 out of 10 slices. I should have gone with 9 slices out of 10, is really what I, I, I should have said, because it really is a solid story. For it's, it's a solid Star Trek story, and definitely in a comic format, it's solid for comics. Yeah, I definitely agreed. I think... This is probably the most fun I've had reading a comic in a long time and just kind of picking apart those little continuity things and all of the various, just 
the fact that at its core, it's just a very basic, good Star Trek story. I think that's what I really appreciate the most about it. Well, and the four lights, I, I love the tie into that, but also the fact that the day before I had an experience with four lights because I'm so proud of my daughter. She's so awesome. She's not a big Star Trek fan, but she pays attention to when I'm talking about it. So we're actually looking <laughs> to replace the ceiling fan in our bedroom and, and it's got four lights on it. And my wife says to me, oh, yeah, you know, we, we need to replace the ceiling fan. Now, how many lights are on that one? And I turned to my daughter and she goes, there are four lights. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's really great. <laughs> and she, she's never even seen the episode. She just hears me talk about these things. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 certain there's certain things from Star Trek that just kind of transcend the original episode and become kind of embedded in just the culture of Star Trek. And the four lights are, is definitely one of those things. Like, even if you've never seen the episode, you've probably heard that phrase and know that it's Picard in Star Trek. So yeah, that's really cool. Oh, and by the way, one thing I wanted to mention in the feature, which we didn't was that in the very first page or two data says, you know, the ship is empty and the ship usually has 1000.765 beings on it. How can you have 0.765? <laughs> well, I think he says there's an average over the past oh, few years of that many. Thing. So, yeah, I, I had to look twice at that, too, because it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. But maybe spot is a point. There you go. Four or something. And the goldfish. We can't forget the fish. <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> we've got Livingston. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been fun talking about Spot and Livingston and everything in Perchance to Dream today, but it's not the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. Star Trek II had just premiered two weeks earlier, right? So everyone's all excited and flush. Oh my God, that's more like it. Was, you know, they were all excited and flush about the Wrath of Khan being out. You know, it was the number one movie. It was incredible. People were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just imagine seeing the Wrath of Khan for the first time, not knowing that it was always going to be the bar forever for every Star Trek <laughs> movie after that. Literary Treks. I'm glad we reread this because at the time I did read this, it was when the new movie was out. But now that we've had the three movies, as you just mentioned, and I've seen Star Trek 09 about 100 times, I'm very familiar with the movie and not as much as with the comic now because I've only read it maybe a, few, a couple of times. Continuing mission. You know, we were pitching our idea, Don and I, to the folks at Starbase Studios. And I vowed to myself that I wasn't going to walk on the bridge and then go sit immediately in the chair and have a picture taken of myself. However, as soon as I got on the bridge, I sat in the chair and I took a picture of myself. <laughs> uh, so, so it was like a kid in a candy store. The 602 Club. I think the problem we have, and this is just in general of all the new canon books, these books are not going to succeed unless the author focuses on one or two characters and just focuses on building a character as much as they can. I felt this was more just like you were saying, this is just more story of what's going on and not really about who these people are and why I should care about them. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of those shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. 
You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you are an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it a lot easier for other Star Trek fans to find the show as they search in iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to leave us a star rating and a review. If you've got the time, we'd really appreciate it. Whether that review is five stars or less, like we we do want honest feedback. If there's something that you think we can improve on in the show, we'd love to hear that. Anything you have to say about the show, we would love to hear from you. And if you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered there as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, And of course, you can stream and download the mp3 file from our website and grab the RSS link there as well. Another way you can really help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find all of the current goals that we have and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks can include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We'd really appreciate any support you can give us, and we really hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd love to thank our associate producers on Literary Treks. That's Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shemutala. Thank you guys for your support of the Trek FM network, and thank you especially for being associate producers here on Literary Treks. Now, Bruce, when you're not having anxiety dreams about that time you almost destroyed the Enterprise, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me on the Star Wars report, talking Star Wars, and coming up pretty soon... I'll be at Star Wars Celebration, so if anybody's going, let me know. I'll be around. So jealous. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a Star Wars Report dinner Friday night at 5 o'clock at Cafe 22 Tango, so come join us. And, uh, of course, I'm always talking Star Trek, and that's always in the Babel Conference, so you can find me there, too. So, Dan, when you're not trying to use a chova to make me have those dreams, where can people find you? Oh, you you saw me getting that device ready, did you? I thought I did that off camera. I saw it all happening. That's awkward. Well, uh, I certainly won't be doing that now. Uh, And when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can find me on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions, Facebook.com slash Kurtrats Productions. You can find me on Instagram. My handle there is at Kurtrats47. And you can also find me kicking around the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.